Well, hey there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriate in the Culture. On today's episode, we discuss the role pop culture plays in picking sides in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be your diplomat today as we appropriate some culture. As you all are probably aware, Hamas attacked and committed atrocities against Israel and its citizens on October 7th, and the nation of Israel has responded to that attack with a military campaign to wipe out Hamas. The subsequent death and carnage that comes from war has emboldened people to side with Palestine, and some of the alignments has produced interesting bedfellows, like queers for Palestine. Now, there can be some nuance in these issues. One can separate to some degree Palestinians and Hamas, but Queers for Palestine is a little baffling. As Brendan O'Neill, writing for The Telegraph, explains, When I first heard the phrase Queers for Palestine, I assumed it was a joke, a meme dreamt up by some right-wing wag on Reddit. There is surely no way actual gay people would cheer on a state infamous for its loathing of homosexuals. For all their zaniness, surely not even purple-haired, post-gender activists would take to the streets pride flag in hand to champion a country that would jail them if they're lucky and bump them off if they're not. But it's not a joke. These people are real. This is where wokeness has taken us, to a situation where the young of the West are throwing their lot in with a regime that would throw them from a top floor given half a chance. Queers for Palestine has become the source of much online mirth in recent weeks, and deservedly so. People have compared it to chickens for KFC. I saw one comment on Instagram noting that if these people actually went to Palestine, especially Hamas-ruled Gaza, their pronouns would be was-were. So how do we explain people embracing a position that is essentially chickens for KFC? Well, you could say it's simply ignorance, and there's a good deal of that, as this clip shows. We're going to play a game called Hamas or. There is no law against raping your wife. Is this Hamas or the Taliban? The Taliban? The answer was Hamas. Oh, wonderful. This law makes it nearly impossible for women and kids to submit claims of incest. Is that Hamas or North Korea? North Korea? The answer was Hamas. Wow. Women of all ages legally need a male guardian to travel. Is that Hamas or ISIS? ISIS. The answer was Hamas. Oh, yeah, that's... In an honor killing, it is basically legal for men to murder women and girls if they are promiscuous. Is that Hamas or the Taliban? Taliban? The answer was Hamas. Hamas uh, is a real terrorist organization. They're not freedom fighters. Hamas was just every one of them. It seems so unfair for women. Thanks for educating me. I think women of color, uh, women generally, uh, LGBTQ individuals, everyone needs to know like who they're supporting. So it's possible that Queers for Palestine people don't realize how most Palestinians feel about LGBTQ issues, or particularly how Hamas feels about it. It can also partially be explained with just outright bigotry and anti-Semitism, where the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and clearly there is some anti-Semitism motivating this. I'm a Jew going undercover at a free Palestine rally to see what they're really about. Hey, how would you describe a Jew? They're, they're devils. Who's at fault? The Jews. The Jews. Always been a problem. So if they do take Palestine, where do the 12 million Jews go? Go to hell. Yeah, that's the literal slogan. Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Okay, if we free Palestine, where do the Jews go? 
Hey, go back to Brooklyn. The Hamas group, the action they've taken, it's not a terrorist attack. I am queer for Palestine, yes. What do you think about the argument when people are saying, in Gaza, they kill gay people? It's very unsafe to be queer here, too. You know, if you but they're not actually killing gay people for being gay by law, right? The way it is in Gaza. But why do we keep going back to, like, Gaza? Why is there such a basis for them to have a homeland? Nobody else has a homeland. Where are you from, if you don't mind me asking? My family is from Afghanistan. In, in Afghanistan, by the way, so that's a Muslim country, right? Predominantly, yes. So would you consider that your homeland? Yes, so I guess I do have a claim over that, but you can't claim Israel. Yeah, that makes sense. But what if they're not ignorant and they don't hate Jews? What is the rationale for a rather unnatural alliance? Well, I think it stems from intersectionality and power dynamics. What is intersectionality? Well, here's an overview. Intersectionality refers to both an analytical method and a group of related social practices that are built on one very basic observation, that everyone, every individual can experience discrimination in different ways, and that to understand and fight against forms of discrimination, we have to consider every potential factor that can contribute to the marginalization of individuals in a particular cultural context. So intersectional analysis focuses on how the perception of things like gender, ethnicity, economic status, uh, citizenship, sexual orientation, and physical ability come together and form our social identities and potentially form intersecting axes of oppression. Uh, let me let me explain. Uh, one of the best ways that I found to explain what intersectionality does is a food analogy. Um, imagine, if you will, a pizza with a bunch of different toppings. Um, olives, pepperoni, mushrooms, peppers, whatever. Um, every person who likes or dislikes that pizza will do so for different reasons, right? Some people might dislike mushrooms, some people love cheese and olives, and other people just simply hate pepperoni. So if we want to understand why people choose to eat or not eat our pizza, we have to take all of the ingredients into consideration. The toppings, the crust, the sauce, everything. And in this silly pizza analogy, what an intersectional analysis would do is build a model that assesses each ingredient and looks at how people respond to them individually and in different combinations. Um, if some people are predisposed to like an ingredient, like cheese, for example, it forms an axis of privilege. Uh, pizzas with those ingredients will be uh, the most liked, the most eaten, uh, the most selected in our pizza shop. And if people are predisposed to dislike a particular ingredient, it forms an axis of oppression. Pizzas with those ingredients will be marginalized in our hypothetical pizza shop and won't be eaten as often. Now, if you swap out the pizza for a human being, if you will, uh, the toppings would represent different socially relevant characteristics, um, age, ethnicity, gender, and so forth. And the resulting theoretical map that emerges from this allows us to better understand um, what combinations of variables inform the perception of our identities and how those intersect when we're discussing either privilege or oppression in a specific social context. And obviously, intersectional theorists aren't overly preoccupied with food. The theoretical perspective and method is most commonly applied in studying minority groups and how they can be subject to discrimination on both the micro level of intersocial interaction and the macro level of corporate or state institutional and legal bias. It highlights the ways in which dominant social narratives classify those groups, breaking those narratives down into intersecting axes in order to better understand and fight against them. 
So intersectionality sees everything in terms of privilege and in terms of power. It's all oppressed or oppressor, privileged or not privileged. And when you view everything through that lens, then everything, every disparate outcome is the result of discrimination. So if you look at Israel and Palestine, Israel is a flourishing democracy, a relatively wealthy nation with much better technology and military might. So it stands in a position of privilege over Palestine, which makes Palestine the oppressed. Now, there's all kinds of problems with intersectionality, but the biggest problem is that it reduces all poor outcomes or unequal outcomes to evil discrimination rather than discernment. Uh, to use the pizza analogy, if one group likes pepperoni on their pizza and another group likes cyanide on their pizza, you're going to get very different outcomes. And if cyanide pizza becomes marginalized compared to pepperoni, that's because people have faculty of reason and not just wanton discrimination. Intersectionality is not relegated to immutable characteristics, and the reality is not all religions are created equal. Not all worldviews are created equal. Not all cultures are created equal. Pepperoni and cyanide are not equal toppings. There are worldviews that consistently produce human flourishing, and there are worldviews that consistently do not. There are cultures that consistently produce human flourishing, and there are cultures that consistently do not. Not all disparate outcomes are the result of discrimination. But the appeal to power dynamics as being central to concepts of good and evil, I think is captivating in part because it's heavily reinforced in pop culture. And not for bad reasons. We all love underdog stories. And power disparities serve really well in storytelling. It's a storytelling principle that your protagonist is only as good as your antagonist. We want the heroes in our stories to be outmatched, outgunned, with everything stacked against them, so that when they emerge victorious, it's that much sweeter. But that framework is a constant reinforcement to the notion that the powerful are the bad guys, are the villains, and the, shall we say, less privileged are the good guys. In fact, we actually struggle to tell stories in any other way. This is hilariously apparent in Star Wars Part 7, The Force Awakens. So in the original trilogy, you have the evil and dominant empire against the scrappy underdog rebel alliance. But then at the end of the series, they topple the empire and establish the new republic. And then cut to the next film, and it's the new order against the resistance. Why would they be the resistance if they're the established government? It's because good guys have to be the scrappy underdogs, even if it makes the story convoluted and incoherent. Here's an actual behind-the-scenes look at the producer Kathleen Kennedy working with the screenwriter Larry Kasdan on the story. So, we have a couple of notes on the script. Okay. First, we hate that Leia is now evil. She's not evil. Then why does she run the Empire? She doesn't. She's the leader of the New Republic. Right, that's the problem. She's a hero. She should be resisting the New Republic. And change the name. We don't like that. Do New Order or something and put Darth Vader in charge of it. Darth Vader is dead. Well, I'm not the writer. You figure it out. And give the New Order a super weapon. That's basically a new hope with some name swaps. Ooh, that sounds good. And scene. Now, there is something entirely noble and virtuous about protagonists triumphing over adversity. There is a truth there that speaks to us, and all truth is God's truth. There's a reason that resonates with us on a spiritual level. There's a reason we tell those stories over and over again. But in reality, the underdog is not always the good guy. There's quite a huge power discrepancy between, say, Almighty God and Satan. But God is the good guy, and Satan is the embodiment of evil. 
Or just because the Patriots, Jets, or Broncos weren't favored against the Buffalo Bills doesn't mean that beating the Bills was good. It wasn't. It was evil and bad, and everybody with a moral conscience knows it. Anyway, the point is, there's undeniable appeal to underdog storytelling, and your protagonist is only as good as your antagonist. But we have to tell stories that capture that in less simplistic ways. Imagine if the New Republic was at a disadvantage, not because of military might or super weapons, but because the New Order was more ruthless. Because the New Order crosses lines you're not willing to cross. They torture prisoners for valuable military intel, but you won't. They don't distinguish between military and civilian targets, but you do. See, even if your protagonist is more powerful, there's all kinds of interesting ways of putting them at a disadvantage, of fighting with one hand tied behind their back. And if we told those kinds of stories, particularly in pop culture, it might help break us from the simplistic understanding that power dynamics are always in alignment with moral dynamics. Now, speaking of stories, my latest book, Six Rounds for the Witching Hour, is currently available on Amazon. You can find the link in the show notes. And this might be news to you because YouTube pulled down my last video. I got an email saying, Hi, Appropriate in the Culture. We wanted to let you know our team reviewed your content, and we think it violates our violent criminal organization's policy. We know you may not have realized this was a violation of our policies, so we're not applying a strike to your channel. However, we have removed the following content from YouTube. Video, The Last Acceptable Racism. We realize this may be disappointing news, but it's our job to make sure that YouTube is a safe place for all. If you think we've made a mistake, you can appeal this decision. You'll find more details below. What our policy says. Content that glorifies violent criminal organizations or incites violence is not allowed on YouTube. Now, I'm guessing that's because I showed a bit of the trailer to 80 for Brady. Because that's the only thing that makes sense. And I did that because if we sell 100 units of my latest book in the first few weeks of release, I have pledged to watch and review 80 for Brady. So go do that. And if you like what we're doing here, like, share, review, leave a comment, join my author's Facebook page, follow me on the major socials. I'll be off here for Thanksgiving, but I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. <laughs>